Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Monday, September 28th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'm joined today by professional handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com and bettersportspicks.com. We're going to start giving you a little bit of our insights into the MLB playoffs. Then we'll talk about college football for week five as we also recap week four. And we'll talk NFL week four and a couple of games going on that are you know, piquing our interest here going into this week. And also, of course, all the things happening around the NFL. We do the same thing in content form over at ATS.io. Highly encourage you to check out everything that we have going on over there. We've got top sportsbook promotions. We've got coverage of the industry, including online sports betting coming to Michigan here sometime over the next few weeks. Tennessee getting started over the next few weeks. Virginia early in 2021, and of course, all the states that already have everything going on in this legal U.S. sports betting landscape. But also over there, we've got plenty of picks, plenty of predictions, my college football power ratings, opening line reports for both the NFL and college football. We'll have some MLB stuff. I'll do the betters box tomorrow on ATS Radio. So lots of stuff going on over at the website. Please make sure that you check it all out. With that, we bring on today's guest, Mr. Kyle Hunter of huntersportspicks.com, as well as bettersportspicks.com, at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Kyle, how's it going today, man? It's going all right, man. I have to admit, I was a little bit jealous when you were mentioning those states that were coming on board. I was hoping Ohio would be listed. Well, Ohio should be here soon. I know they're talking about it again. They're uh, starting to hammer out some of the details. I would say early 2021, you know, they kind of get this thing going. And again, a lot of states... With all of these COVID budget shortfalls, they need as much tax revenue as they can possibly get. So sports betting probably going to be at the top of the legislative calendar here uh, as this year flips over. And speaking of legislative calendars and, and betting and those types of things, I know you've done very, very well in the past with betting on politics at places like Predict It uh, and stuff like that. So I know you're definitely, uh, I don't know if you're looking forward to, you know, this uh this political calendar here for a variety of different reasons, but I know you're looking forward to betting a lot of those things. I'm looking forward to betting and I do very well with that. I'm not looking forward to all the political ads on TV and no. everything like that. I'd love to, to, and the phone calls and texts, man, that gets really old, but uh, at least I get to bet it. And, and uh, then we'll just wait till four years from now to start that cycle over again. It's going to be frustrating for me tomorrow night. The first presidential debate actually here in the Cleveland area uh, and I just I, I want to be on Twitter for the Indians game. I, I don't want to be on Twitter for all the politics stuff, but <laughs> it's it's completely unavoidable uh, to say the least here for this year. And of course, we'll see how that first debate goes and what happens uh, with the odds for Biden and Trump out there in the betting market. But in any event, as I mentioned, the Indians in action tomorrow night against the Yankees. The AL Wild Card Series begin on Tuesday, NL beginning on Wednesday. We wanted to spend a few minutes here talking about playoff betting for major league baseball we'll spend the majority of the show on football but the playoffs are a different animal compared to the regular season kyle absolutely i think that um there's quite a bit different about betting playoffs uh major league baseball these lines are are pretty good you know we're not going to see huge edges in the playoffs uh a pretty efficient market but i think that the bullpen gets used a lot quicker the best pitchers are used in high leverage spots uh, you and I were talking about this before we started airing here. Uh, I think you got to remember that the starting pitcher is likely not going to pitch seven innings, you know, not unless they're dominating, you know, maybe a, a Bieber or a Garrett Cole or somebody like that does. But in, in most cases, we're going to see four or five innings from the starter. And then you go to a bullpen. And I think uh, rotations being shorter now uh means that the starting pitching depth doesn't matter as much as it usually does in the regular season, but bullpen depth is really still important because, you know, you don't want to only have a couple good bullpen arms because if you use them a lot in those, that first game or two, uh, you know, you probably can't use them every single game. Well, and there are a lot of interesting wrinkles to these playoffs because, you know, first of all, you do have the expanded format. You've got the wild card series with home field advantage. Then you go to the bubbles for the division series the LCS and then the World Series, of course. But a a few different things here that are pretty interesting and and unique to these playoffs. The first is that there are no days off. The way that they've kind of compressed this playoff schedule, you don't have to travel, so there are no days off. So the teams that have better starting pitching depth may have something of an advantage as opposed to you know usual years where maybe five pitchers, three starters, and two relievers throw 70, 75% of the innings. 
you probably won't get that here this year. You've got the three batter minimum as well. So that'll kind of dictate how these managers deploy their relievers. But still, you know, at the same time, you don't want your starters going a third time through the order. You worry about the second time through the order for the, you know, the back end of the rotation guys. Bullpens will be used extensively. And that is something I think that you always pay attention to. But with no days off, follow the bullpen usage very closely because some teams may not have their best or second best relievers for those games because maybe they've thrown 60 pitches over the last two days. They're not going to send them out a third straight day. They're going to try not to put these guys at risk you know, as much as they possibly can. So I think pre-flop, you look at bullpen usage more than you even look at the starting pitchers. But I also think that in any playoff format, and especially this one here this year, live betting is 110% the way to go in the Major League Baseball playoffs. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I think live betting is a really good idea. And you make a good point that these playoffs are a little bit different than the others because you don't get those days off. Um, I believe, isn't the rule about the the runner starting on second and the 10th, that doesn't go in the playoffs, no. right? No, Gosh, you, you play it till it's over in the playoffs. Yeah, I hate that rule. So I'm glad to see that one go. Um, you know, I think it, it, you make a good point about there's no days off. And then the fact that bullpen depth is so important and looking at the usage, uh, you know, as you say, especially some bullpens that have like one elite guy, um, that guy can't be used every single game if he threw 30 or 40 pitches uh, the game before. So really important point. I did want to say that, um, you know, as I looked at the data on this, if you go all the way back to 2005, underdogs have an ROI of 2.1% in the MLB playoffs. That's just betting every single underdog on the money line. And if you take dogs of plus 120 or higher, 6.3% ROI uh, since 2015. So that is uh, very interesting. Uh, I think that – actually, I think I put this in my notes incorrectly. It looks like that's 6.3% percent ROI since 2005, which is really even more impressive. So um, underdogs of plus 120 or higher, I think this makes sense. You know, you take teams that uh, are getting, you know, plus 130, plus 140, but still have a really good bullpen. Uh, I think that makes sense to be able to grab something like that, because as you've said, I don't think the starting pitching means quite as much as it normally does in, in the regular season. And uh, we could combine what you said there with uh, live betting maybe take an underdog a plus 130 or 140 uh, if they get ahead or if they get to where the other team is plus 110 or plus 120 you could get yourself in a pretty good situation by uh, a pre-flop like you said taking an underdog and then grabbing the other side during the middle of the game yeah no it's an excellent point and you know especially too uh you know with the the aggressive nature of some of these managers there will be some managers that try to push their starters too far. There will be some managers that have been through this before that do a very good job of sort of reading and understanding the situation of when to get a guy out of there. That's something I kind of worry about with the Indians in these playoffs, depending on how far they go, because Sandy Alomar is in way over his head right now. And as much as I'm not a Terry Francona guy, Francona's done well in the playoffs to limit exposure to the starters, deploy his relievers at the right times, some managers aren't going to be well-versed in that or maybe won't have that luxury. There will be some teams, the Reds, for example, your team, their starting pitchers a third time through the lineup may be a better option than some of their relievers coming out of the bullpen. So you got to get a feel for what these managers are going to do as well and how they're going to wind up playing these games out. But the way that you can kind of limit your exposure with that is exactly what you said, play an underdog pre-flop do some middling, some scalping, some arbitraging during the game, set yourself up to make money no matter what happens. If you're live betting these games, you do have that opportunity. Of course, too, if it's something you've never done before, take it easy, be responsible with it, get a feel for how all of that works. But those opportunities will be there, you know, if you are watching these playoff games and you can get a feel for, you know, what's happening. You can see, you know, who's warming up in the bullpen if it's not who you expected it to be, maybe that's a live betting spot. Maybe if a team's not using their best reliever in this high leverage spot and saving them, well, maybe you do something from a live standpoint. Those opportunities are out there. There are big swings in these playoff games. I think that's one way that you want to look at it. And one other thing here, I know I didn't have you run this data and I probably should have, but we talk about this across a lot of sports. As the games increase in importance, the, the scoring environment is generally depressed. And you do see that in the playoffs with, 
you know, a lot of games that have six and a half or seven totals, something like that with the pitching matchups and the bullpen matchups. So that's something you may want to consider as well, is that, you know, what the run environment for the playoffs, especially with the bubbles, which are generally more pitcher slanted parks, that's something that you want to factor in the equation here too. Yeah, I'm going to try to look at the numbers here as we're talking on this one. Um, I would guess that the under has done a little bit better than the over in the playoffs, but uh, we will see. I did have a question for you. I'll put you on the spot a little bit here. As far as bullpen management, you know, which managers do you trust the most? Which are some teams that you think will do a good job with their bullpen? I would assume Tampa Bay is on that list. Um, I, I don't know. Who else do you trust a lot? Yeah, I definitely trust Kevin Cash. Uh, Kevin Cash for Tampa Bay. I, I wish that the Indians wouldn't have let him go. I wish he would have been kind of the heir apparent to Francona. Uh, Kevin Cash has been brilliant. Rocco Baldelli is very good with the Twins at leveraging his bullpen, at knowing when to get starters out of the game. He's quite good at that. As far as the National League goes, you know, I think the National League is a little bit tougher because you know, you've got a guy like Dave Roberts who has a lot of options there with the Dodgers, but, you know, there have been some questions about his late game management. Um, you've got some teams in the National League here that, you know, I would think Craig Council would be very good at it with the Brewers, but also Williams and Hayter are so much better than everybody else he has in the bullpen that I don't know how many options he actually has. Uh, I think David Bell with the Reds will be interesting because the Reds are very progressive, but again, their starters might wind up being their better options. Uh, Snicker was pretty good with the Braves, and he may have his hand forced anyway because their starting staff isn't very good. I think it's easier to point out the guys I think are at a disadvantage. I think Sandy Alomar is worrisome for the Indians. I think Rick Renteria for the White Sox is not good at that at all whatsoever. I think that's something that could hold them back. Uh, Aaron Boone's pretty good at it for the Yankees. I think he'd be a positive for them. But again, they have a ton of options. Jace Tingler will be very interesting for the Padres because you know, their starting staff is fine. Their bullpen lost some depth because of some injuries that they had over the course of the year but he's a young manager, kind of a more progressive thinker. I think it's those guys. The more progressive thinkers, the younger managers, are the ones that will be better at it than kind of the old guard, old school types of guys. So that, that's kind of my thought with that. Yeah, I think those are some good thoughts. I agree uh, with those as far as who would be strengths and weaknesses. I was thinking Renteria is one of my question marks as a weakness as well. Um, you know, if you look at the playoff over-unders overall here, 241 and 236 to the under, so just about even. If you go up to 7.5 or higher, the under is 54.5%. So if you take unders that are at 6.5 or 7, you've been losing a lot. That makes sense. You know, you do have a lot of low unders in the playoffs, so you have to be careful taking under 6.5 or under 7. Um, it's hard to take under six and a half. A lot of games finish on seven. So I, I tend to not do that. I know we'll see six and a halves with uh, Cole and Bieber and games like that. But um, 54 and a half percent if you take the under seven and a half or higher. And we'll definitely see plenty of games with a total of seven and a half or higher. So uh, kind of interesting information there. Yeah, it really is. And again, I mean, we'll see, you know, if fans will be allowed in some of these ballparks as we get deeper into the playoffs and, you know, all those types of things too. Like I said, I'll be doing more with the MLB playoffs on the betters box on Tuesday, but I just want to talk about it a little bit here today because we generally do almost all football and, and there is other stuff going on, but football, you know, is kind of the primary driver here of traffic and interest in this business. But, you know, with both of us having our teams in the playoffs this year, I figured it would be nice to spend a few minutes on that. With that being said, let's transition over to the college football side here, Kyle. And uh, an interesting weekend. Lots of, you know, kick return touchdowns, pick sixes, other defensive scores, a lot of misleading final scores. This is a week where box score study is very, very important. Absolutely. This was a crazy weekend. Um, I hope you guys are betting overs this weekend. I wasn't. Um, didn't go very well for me. A uh, really bad Saturday for me in college football. I did okay in the NFL, but... Um, really rough Saturday. There were some crazy upsets. You know, I don't know how Oklahoma loses again to Kansas State. And you pointed out to me, Kansas State had 10 first downs in that game and they win. That's hard to believe. Um, you know, I, I had to do a double take when you said that just because uh, it's hard to believe they could score that many points getting 10 first downs, but they managed to do it. Uh, there were lots of misleading games, like you said. Um, this was just a crazy weekend. If you'd have told me before the weekend that Syracuse was going to score 37 points on Georgia Tech, there's no way I would have believed you. That was one of my unders that lost. 
Um, Syracuse, I would have been stunned if they scored more than 24, 25, something like that. Uh, that game was misleading, though. Georgia Tech outgained Syracuse by 96 yards. Syracuse still only 5.5 yards per play. Certainly better than they've been, but not great. Um, it was a really crazy weekend at college football as far as uh, strange results. Uh, totals that were misleading as well. Again, I'm going to give Adam some credit on this one because he mentioned this one to me before I had even seen it. Texas and Texas Tech. I have to tell you, when I look at this box score, this is one of the strangest totals I've ever seen. 5.8 and 5.3 yards per play. And it was 56 to 56 at the end of regulation. 5.8 and 5.3 yards per play is really not very good. Uh, 56 to 56. What a crazy game. And then obviously Texas was pretty fortunate to win that game, too. Yeah, they were down what? They were down three scores, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it was it was a strange weekend, to say the least. You mentioned that Georgia Tech game. They were minus four in turnover margin. They had five turnovers. I think four of them were interceptions. Uh, Duke, you know, another bad performance from Duke. They turned the football over seven times. Last week, it was five. This week, it was seven. Four of them picks from Chase Bryce, the Clemson transfer. Um, you, know, you, you really can't predict turnovers for the most part, but I guess at this point in time, and I know you mentioned this, both of us moving Duke down in our power ratings here, not because we were off from the market or anything like that, but just because they can't take care of the damn football. So it's very hard to bet on a team like that. Um, you know, we saw Boston College and Texas State. I know you mentioned that one to me in the notes is a very uh, misleading score there is Boston College probably should have lost that game to Texas State laying, what, 18, 18 and a half, something like that. It's just, it's been one of those things where this college football season is already hard enough to figure out, and we're getting these big misleading box scores. West Virginia, Oklahoma State was one of them where West Virginia had 42 carries for 68 yards, but they had a 100-yard rusher in the game. Like, just strange happenings going on out there. Louisville covers the early number, pushes the late game number for uh, that pit game. They had 223 yards in that game. They were one for 11 on third down, and it looks like they were in the game and played well, but they just weren't. So, it man, it was it was a tough week, and there are a lot of games you really have to dig into to find out exactly what the hell happened. Yeah, really strange. Uh, the Texas State one, Texas State averaged 31 yards per punt in that game. That definitely hurt them badly. I mean... I think you and I could probably punt the ball 31 yards on average, to be honest. It's uh, uh, what a Texas State was minus one in turnover margin. Boston College really fortunate to win that game. I think that's why you see the line move that you see in Boston College game early this week. We've talked about that time after time. You know, this is why you do this, too, because you see something like this. You're going to see that team get bet against. And that's what happened already this week. Uh, Liberty 36 to 34 over FIU. Um, I kind of hate to talk about this one because I had this one. This was definitely the right side that lost. Um, Liberty outgains the FIU 527 to 304. FIU has 15 penalties for 124 yards, and they still cover. Um, I really don't even know how they covered that game. I do know the game finished with uh, Liberty kneeling the ball from the four-yard line and FIU not calling timeouts uh, down by two points. Uh they could have stopped the clock and got the ball back if they didn't get in the end zone. Really strange end of the game. I don't understand what happened there, but um, there was a lot of weird games. And I think that you could say this in college football and in the NFL, but there are some really head-scratching coaching decisions in a lot of these games. There are. And, you know, it's it's crazy. I mean, we'll talk NFL here in a few minutes, but, you know, I, I was texting with a buddy on Sunday, and I'm like, I went two and three in the Circa, and I wasn't mad about any of my handicaps. And one of the losses was Houston, played a great first half, and then I got Bill O'Brien in the second half. And I just sit there, and I'm thinking to myself, why do I put money on these shitty coaches? Like, why? better coach, better quarterback, I should just play every one of those games. I, I it, It's just, it's maddening. And you think about it with college football, too, where these guys really make some suspect decisions, or, you know, they just... That the play calling can be a little bit weird and strange. Uh, it's just it's it's nuts the way that some of these games work out. But again, it's part of that process early in the week of recapping what happened. And you don't have to make power ratings to know which way some of these lines are going to move because, as you just said, you get some of these misleading box scores where you look at them and go, "Well, that shouldn't have happened." So that team, you know, I'm probably going to look for regression in the mean out of that team. And we have seen a lot of those games here and those line moves already early in the week, as you said. 
But with that being said, we did make some power ratings adjustments here. And I think it's probably a pretty good place to lead off with Louisiana Monroe because if you get taken to the woodshed by UTEP, I am moving you down a lot. Yeah, I moved them down four and a half points. How much did you move them down? Uh, I think it was three and a half for me. and I, I Maybe it was four and a half, but either way, it's probably not enough. Yeah, I mean, they gave up more than 500 yards to UTEP. Um, I think they had less than 200 themselves, if I remember correctly. Um, wow, that's hard they to do. I don't think they converted a third down. Jeez. They were 0 for 11 against UTEP. Like, that's no offense to UTEP and their fans, but ugh, God. Right, right. I've, I don't think either one of us have anything against UTEP. It's just we know how bad UTEP's been. I think UTEP was pretty fortunate to win against those FCS schools, their first couple wins. And then they just go down and uh, beat Monroe badly. It doesn't make much sense. I've moved LSU down five points, and I wonder if that's enough. I hate to move a team like that that clearly has good talent down quite a bit. But, you know, you give up over 600 yards of passing. Um, I don't care if it is Mike Leach's offense. I mean, that really is inexcusable for LSU. LSU's offense looked pretty good, obviously, but, you know, I don't think the Mississippi State's defense is that good. Really pretty surprised LSU lost that game outright. Um, You know, I figured that Mike Leach might take a little bit of time with that system. Obviously, Costello is a better fit than than what I would have known going into it. I I moved LSU down five points. I moved Duke down two and a half points. At this point, I feel like they're just kind of a turnover machine. You know, if you feel like you have value on Duke, you should go ahead and know that they're probably going to turn it over because a lot of their picks and, and uh, turnovers they've had in the last couple of weeks really haven't been flukes. It looks like they've just been bad decisions. I moved BYU up two and a half points. BYU is really playing well. I think they're a very good team. Uh, I don't want to be too low on them, so I moved them up two and a half points. Mississippi State, I moved up four points. I think you could make an argument that's not enough, but I, I don't want to uh, move a team up too quickly from one game. So that was my adjustments. Yeah, I also moved Mississippi State up four, and I'm nowhere near the market number here this week uh, for their game against Arkansas. So clearly not enough, but, you know, again, like you said, I mean, it's 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 been one game. So, you know, I don't want to go too far with it. The one thing I will say, Mike Leach is going to make Kylan Hill a first-round pick, and I don't know if he would have been. There's a chance he would have. He's a very, very good running back, but that kid in the passing game now, he's going to have probably 50 or 60 receptions. He had eight over the weekend for, what, a buck 78 or something like that. We know NFL coaches love running backs that can catch the football, and he's going to get tons of reps doing that this year. Mike Leach is going to make that kid a first-round pick, so there is that. Uh, I moved down Louisville six points this week, and I've been higher than the market on Louisville a few different times, and... Not a great look against Western Kentucky. You and I talked about them against Miami, and you know they just gave up a boatload of points and yards in that game. And then last week, I know they pushed around that closing number of three. I thought that Louisville should have been favored in that game. That's at least what my power ratings had on that one. I, I had to make an adjustment. I mean, they have not played well, and I don't know why. I mean, they've really brought back a lot of the same personnel from last year. I really like Scott Satterfield. They just haven't played well at all, and... Maybe I didn't have Pitt high enough, and I did move Pitt up two and a half points. I'm nowhere near Pitt's line against NC State this week either. Uh, but that was just such a god-awful look for Louisville again last week. 220-something-odd yards. They couldn't protect the quarterback. Uh, just not a good look for them at all. I moved Southern Miss down three points. They gave up 66 to Tulane. I got to move you because of that. Uh, Western Kentucky is just not the same team either. I moved them down three points. Other than that, you know, a lot of one, one and a half, two point movements here and there. I feel like I want to start settling in with my numbers and not make too many drastic moves unless it's teams that we're kind of seeing for the first time here. One other one I will mention here. I dropped Air Force down seven and a half points from last year with no Donald Hammond, only eight returning starters now without him. And it looks like that's not enough. So uh, they're the only team that I added to my power ratings here this week. But as you and I know, we're going to have to start adding the Big Ten, the Mountain West, the MAC, and the Pac-12 back into our power ratings here sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. I had them down eight points from last year. And I will say that the Air Force-Navy game is is nearly unbettable to me. You know, what do you yes. do with that game? Um, I was hoping you weren't going to ask me about that game in general because I definitely don't have any thoughts about betting that game. Um, Southern Miss is a good call moving them down. Um, I moved them down two points. 
They've allowed 12 plays of 30 yards or more already this year, which is hard to do, especially when most of them were against Tulane. Uh, not not really knocking Tulane's offense. Uh, Keon Howard really hasn't looked very good in that offense, but they, they didn't need to throw it against Southern Miss. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. One other interesting stat I wanted to mention real quick. Kansas's kick team has allowed four kickoff returns for a total of 225 yards, 56.25 yards per return. Uh, is that bad? I think it's bad, and I think Les Miles needs to find a scholarship kicker that can kick a touchback. I, I think that's what that tells me. And we will talk about Kansas and that kick coverage game here with a highlight video in a little bit when we talk about this Baylor and West Virginia matchup. A few other stats that I kind of want to throw out here. We mentioned Duke already. They're minus nine in turnover margin through three games. And in fact, if I remember correctly, they were even in that Notre Dame game, I think. So... They're maybe minus nine in the last two games. So that's not really a great look for them. Uh, UAB, 13 of 14 scoring touchdowns in the red zone. They had a big game last week against South Alabama. Tulane is 12 of 13 in their touchdown percentage in the red zone. And Syracuse is one for seven. So uh, the Orange have all sorts of problems and yet still managed to score 37 points last weekend. So... It's it's a season of oddities, to say the least, but we're going to find a lot of these interesting stats as we move forward here for sure. One other one, Pitt. Pitt has fumbled nine times this year. They've only lost two of them. So Pitt's got some turnover regression coming uh, in a negative way for them. So that'll be something you want to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, Pitt's defense is really good. Uh, I don't, I don't want to rush. That pass rush is awesome. It's it's tremendous. And um What's the guy's name that opted out? Weaver, Rashad Weaver. Yeah. Uh, they would have been even better with him. So I Pitt's defense is scary good, especially that defensive line. Um, underdogs so far this year, I wanted to mention real quick, are 44 and 33 against the spread. That's 57.1% in college football. Road teams are 41 and 36 ATS. I think that's something to keep uh, tracking here with the lower home field advantage. And we'll see who lets uh, fans in and if they increase capacity or not. But uh, interesting to see underdogs and road teams doing well so far this year. Well, that is interesting. And, and 57% is a very good number for underdogs. And, you know, as I kind of look at the board and compare things to my power ratings here, again this week, I see inflated favorites. And you would think with underdogs doing so well here that, you know, they would kind of temper expectations a little bit, maybe keep some of those favorites a little bit lower. But I, I think that, and this is, a, we could go very in-depth with this discussion. We won't do it on today's show, but as we get more data points, maybe this is something that we'll have to follow up with. I keep asking myself, with you know, the new set of lines that comes out Sunday for college football and you know, Sunday night for the NFL, are these overreactions? Or in a year like this, are these just convictions? Is this just something where, Look, you know, with everything that's going on and guys having to miss practice or contact tracing and, and whatever else, like, are these overreactions or is this just a situation where teams that are playing well are going to keep playing well and teams that aren't playing well, it's hard for them to get better with everything that's going on. That's kind of the, you know, the, the chicken and the egg scenario I guess I have early in the week here with college football is I look at a lot of these games and I say these favorites are overpriced but maybe these dogs are just that bad and maybe they can't adjust that much. It, it's making it hard for me to, you know, sort of either trust in my power ratings or trust in my numbers. Because again, I just, I don't know how much improvement can happen on a week to week basis with everything going on this year. Yeah. I think this year is uh, extremely difficult to figure that out so far this year. I haven't been able to do that. I, I will say that um, I again agree that, a lot of these lines look too big to me. Um, if you're sitting here looking at these, I don't like very many of the favorites, especially the big favorites. Um, at the same time, it's a little bit hard to know what to do with some of these teams that are so bad because, you know, they've, they've performed so badly so far. Are we going to ex- assume that they just uh, turn it around? Um, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what to think about that. Like you said, that that's a, a big discussion that that could get pretty long. I'll say that, you know, in general, I think that underdogs could still do pretty well here in college football. Uh, we're playing teams that we know pretty well. And uh, I think that, you know, this is, this is something that could continue. I think road teams would still be the way I would lean. Um, I don't want to take many big favorites, um, but, you know, totals wise also, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, the over did really well last weekend in college football after it started slowly 
think no fans seems to be helping the over. It seems to be more scoring based on uh, a low amount of fans. That will obviously uh, you know, be reflected in totals at some point, both in the NFL and college football. I'm not convinced that's necessarily reflected in all the totals yet, though. Well, like I, I look at a game like Friday night, for example. How do I get to BYU minus 24 in my power ratings? I, I, I can't do it. When, when you think about last week's game, Troy was plus 14 at BYU. This week, La Tech is plus 24 at BYU. Like, is the difference between Troy and Louisiana Tech 10 points in your power ratings? Because it's not in mine. And no, it wouldn't no have been even going into last week. So, to me, that feels like BYU is just a ridiculously inflated number this week. But do I really want to bet La Tech, who had all the COVID issues early in the year, no Jamar Smith, their you know, three-year starter at quarterback. Um, they just gave up a ton of passing yards to Houston Baptist. BYU looks great. They, they do. They look awesome. But 24 points awesome against Louisiana Tech when they were minus 14 last week? It's an overreaction, but it speaks to what I'm saying of maybe the teams that are looking good are just trustworthy in this environment. I, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. There's no way you can get to 24 with BYU. At the same time, I'm not excited to bet La Tech. I my, my number is 16. Yeah, I have I have 18 and a half in that one. And La Tech to me is a team that I don't want to back in that spot. You know, they're not used to going and playing at altitude. Um, we've talked about that many times before. And BYU has looked amazing, like you said. I don't want to bet against BYU, but I don't know how you could could bet on BYU at that number either. So uh, games like that are a pretty easy pass. It's just, it's crazy to me to sit here and think about how, you know, Troy and La Tech is, well, let me see what I've got that game. I'm not sure what you have that game between Troy and Louisiana Tech, if they were to hypothetically play. I mean, I've got that game virtually a pick em. and And this line is 10 points different this week. I mean, you know, BYU's looked the part, so I guess you give them credit for that. But I, I don't have Troy and La Tech 10 points different. I, I really don't. Yeah, I have La Tech by one in that one. So, I mean, if you if you look at that game, I mean, obviously we should have been betting BYU last week. That's that's the easiest thing to say, right? But but uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously. So, uh, you know, do I want La Tech here? I definitely don't. Can I lay the points with BYU? No way. But it's not like I made a ten point adjustment to BYU, and it's not like I ever. Right. I would never make a ten point adjustment in one week unless it's you know like a quarterback being out that's worth ten points to the number. I would only go down ten. I would never go up 10. This line implies, and, and maybe this is true, this line implies that BYU is like a is an easy top 15 team in power ratings. And and I don't I can't get there. But again, you know, it's not gonna it's not gonna have me betting the game. La Tech on a short week, going to altitude, stuff like that. But you know, again, I, I think it speaks to, you know, sort of people wanting to trust the teams that they feel like they can trust in this really weird year. And, and BYU feels trustworthy and you're paying a premium to do it. And maybe they go out there and win by 40 again. I don't know, but that's something I, I think as we move forward here, I want to see how that dynamic continues to play out. The teams that are rolling along and look really good, do their prices and their perceptions just keep going up and up and up and up no matter who they are. Um, I think that you, you're on to something as far as people trust them because they've seen them blow out teams multiple times now. BYU is, is just absolutely taking teams to the woodshed. And I can't blame people for trusting BYU, but at some point there's got to be a price that you're out. I think that's kind of our point here. So, you know, you want to lay 24 points with BYU? Go ahead. I can't do it. All right, so we got a highlight video breakdown here for you of game 117-118 right here on our ATS YouTube page, part of ATS Radio. I'm Adam Burke. That's Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And we're going to talk about Baylor and West Virginia here. And this is a number hovering in that key number range. A lot of places sitting two and a half. There are a few threes out there on the board, but you're paying some extra juice there uh, if you want Baylor or if you want West Virginia, excuse me, at the plus three current total on this game, 54 and a half as we're recording uh, early Monday afternoon. Very interesting game here. You know, a conference game, Baylor taking a little bit of a trip out to Morgantown. What is your starting point with this handicap, Kyle? Yeah, I, th I think this game's a little bit too high toward Baylor. I have this game at pick. Um, I think West Virginia was a little bit better last week than most people give them credit for being. And at the same time, Baylor 
that was a misleading game last week, like you were mentioning. You know, um, you're not going to get kickoff returns for touchdowns all the time against everybody. Uh, everybody's not going to be Kansas, so it's not going to be as easy for them. I don't think we really know what Baylor is yet. You know, do we do we feel really confident that Baylor's great based on that win? I don't think we should. At the same time, I think West Virginia will be an improved team in, in year two of Neil Brown. You know, I think he's a good coach. I like their defensive coordinator a lot. West Virginia's defensive line is very good. I think they're one of the best defensive lines in the Big 12. If you look at Baylor's offense, I think Baylor will be pretty good at offense, um, not elite. I have a good quarterback, obviously, in Brewer. Uh, I think the, the jury's out on Baylor, though, and you go to Morgantown, I know that it's not in a, a typical season, but still, they have a pretty good home field advantage even without that. This is a long trip for Baylor. Um, you know, I can't lay the points here with Baylor. The only way I could take this game on a side perspective would be West Virginia. I also lean to the under here. I think this one's a little bit too high. Uh, Baylor last week, 5.25 yards per play against Kansas, which is really not very good. Uh, you know, And now they play a really good defense in West Virginia. West Virginia's defense wasn't that bad against uh, Oklahoma State either. So if you if you just break down this game from last week's final scores, you would think Baylor would would win this game easily. But I feel like this is a good example of what we just talked about and what we talk about a lot here on the show is that those misleading games are really important to look at. Now, maybe Baylor goes and just wins this game easily. Certainly, it's it's possible. Um, I don't think, though, if you want to bet Baylor here, you, you want to do it just because they won by so much against Kansas or because uh, Oklahoma State covered against West Virginia. You need to have a different reason for that. I will say, like I said, I think West Virginia takes a pretty big step forward in year two. Um, Baylor is still an unknown to me in year one of Aranda. I think he'll do a good job, but what are they going to do in year one? They lost a lot from that defense last year. I think they'll still be pretty good at defense. Uh, both of these teams don't play overly fast either, which is one of the reasons I like the under. A lot of teams in the Big 12 really do play quickly. Um, these two teams don't. So uh, I see this one being an underlook, and I also like West Virginia. Yeah, I like this one as an underlook too. And, and last week we did a highlight video with Tennessee and South Carolina, and that game did fly over the total. But if you listen to us, you did get a good number on that total as that one moved down uh, quite a bit throughout the week. So you know, we did get some closing line value on that one. Just didn't get the right result. So uh, Tennessee had a pick six, and you know there were some other things that kind of happened in that game. But in this one, you know, I agree with you. And, and one of the things that really stood out to me last week is that you know Jared Daggy for West Virginia only had twenty completions, but threw for two hundred eighty some odd yards. But they tried to force feed the run. They had they wound up with forty two carries. Some of them Daggy getting sacked. Some of them him running for his life. But they tried to force feed the run quite a bit. And I think that's something that you want to look at here, too. You want to look at game state and you want to sort of look at what teams are doing in terms of their play selection. And, you know, West Virginia, they tried to wear Baylor down. And maybe you can say that made sense with Baylor, you know, um, or with uh, Oklahoma State, excuse me, with Oklahoma State. You know, they wanted to run the football, too, because they didn't have Spencer Sanders. They weren't going to have a whole lot going on in the passing game. So West Virginia wanted to control the football, wanted to keep their defense from getting gassed, and they ran a lot of plays in that game. They just you know, weren't able to protect the quarterback well enough to put up a good number of points. You look at Baylor, you know, their defense got a lot of work last week, but their offense really didn't because they lost two possessions with those kick return touchdowns. And early on in the season, while you know, you're happy to get those 14 points, you also want your offense to go through the playbook. You want your quarterback to get comfortable going through his progressions and all of that. Baylor lost out on some of that opportunity last week. So I think their offense could be behind to some degree here in this game. So I do like the under along with you in this one. Yeah, the under is my favorite play in this one. If if West Virginia's three or higher, I like West Virginia on the side. Uh, looks like it's minus 120 if you want to get plus three um, at Bovada. I don't know what this line will do from a side standpoint. Do you, you think this one will be at three at the close or where do you think this line will be? I think it's a tough one. I mean, you said you've got a pick. I've got Baylor minus one and a half here. I think there's a chance it probably does come down a little bit, at least, you know, stays off of three. But this is maybe one of those spots, too, where you can kind of make that decision underdog, you know, plus two, plus two and a half range. Do you just go ahead and take the money line instead? Yeah, and I do I do like money line. If you could get plus 120, plus 125, somewhere in that range. 
I think that would be worth it. I think this is a game that that does have some variance to it. We don't know these teams really well as far as exactly what they'll be, especially Baylor. You know, they played one game, got all those kick returns. Uh, what are they going to be? We don't really know yet. I think West Virginia is a good defense, questionable offense. Their offensive line's an issue. So um, I like the under better in this one, but I do like West Virginia as well. Well, of course, we'll see as we get closer to the weekend here. I know it's supposed to cool off in the Great Lakes area. Maybe you get some weather, some wind, some of those types of things. As the calendar flips over to October, weather very much something you want to factor into your handicap. And we'll talk about that a lot here on ATS Radio and also with these ATS YouTube videos. All right, so we'll give ourselves a little bit of a breather here before we get uh, into our next highlight video. And you know, a game that I sort of want to touch on here really quickly Uh, Game 125-126 is Memphis and SMU, and we're still going to get some of these games where teams won't have played for a little while. Other teams will have been playing. SMU's run up, what, 140 or 160 points in their three games. Memphis hasn't played in a while because they won a game, got a bunch of COVID cases, had to sit and wait around. So this is a a really challenging handicap. Memphis is now a a two-and-a-half-point favorite believe this is the highest total on the board in the mid-70s. I mean, is there any chance you can bet a game like this? I think if I bet this game, I'd want the over, but this is such a high number, um, it's hard to take. If you look at SMU, they've ran up um, a bunch of points, but, I mean, who have they done it against? You know, SMU's offense, um, I think they'll do well here against Memphis, but I don't trust SMU from a side standpoint because uh, their strength of schedule is pretty weak. Memphis, to me, should be the better team this year, but they come off of having those uh, canceled games with the COVID cases. Now, I will say, and this is something you'll probably talk um, more in depth um, uh, later in the week as well. I know Brad Powers has done some uh, good studies on things like this. Some of those COVID games where, you know, the line moves five points or something, it it goes the other way. You know, a lot of these have gone the other way. You think that, well, maybe a team hasn't played yet. Um, they had a lot of COVID cases, so we'll take, you know, for example, Wake Forest against NC State. Doesn't work. You know, that's happened in quite a few cases now. Now, obviously, it's a small sample size, but, you know, these huge line moves. Um, another one was last week, NC State against Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech just runs them off the field. Um, and it was, what, minus six, minus six and a half at one point. So, uh, it seems like there's been a little bit of an overreaction in the marketplace to these things before. I, I think I would lean Memphis in this game. Uh, I don't know that I'm anxious to bet this one, though. All right, we got a highlight video here for this edition of ATS Radio, taking a look at another Big Ten game, or Big 12 game, excuse me, on the board here between Oklahoma and Iowa State, game 123-124. Oklahoma off of that disappointing loss last week to Kansas State, a game that we addressed earlier on in the show where Oklahoma was minus four in turnover margin. Kansas State had a bunch of short field scores in the fourth quarter. They only had 10 first downs, but scored 38 points in that matchup. Iowa State, you know, interesting game last week against TCU. Very interesting game that they lost to Louisiana earlier on in the year. What are you thinking about this one here between Oklahoma or between Oklahoma and Iowa State? I went into this game wanting to take Oklahoma, or I mean, wanting to take Iowa State here against Oklahoma, but I can't take Iowa State with what the line is now. I mean, this is, uh, this seems like an overreaction to Oklahoma losing last week. If Oklahoma had won last week, uh, what's this line going to be? You know, Oklahoma's going to be what, minus 12, minus 13, something like that. I would have wanted to take the points with Iowa State in that situation. Uh, now, as I look at this game, uh, I probably lean to the under in this one. Uh, Iowa State burnt me last week, I'll say right from the beginning. But Iowa State was playing so slow last week. Uh, I was looking at the stats here uh, last night. Iowa State took 36.2 seconds between plays uh, on average last week against TCU. The game still you know, gets to 70-some points and goes right over the total. I still think Iowa State's defense is one of the best in the Big 12. They didn't show it last week, really. Uh, Brock Purdy was really good last week, except for that uh, backwards touchdown, uh, interception touchdown pass he threw. What a ridiculous play that was. But um, didn't take a sack, throws it backwards to the defense, and they run right in for a, for a touchdown. Uh, I think that Matt Campbell's been really good as a underdog in the past. And I'm trying to look here as we talk briefly uh, to see what Matt Campbell's exact record is as an underdog. 
Uh, Campbell's 26 and 12 against the spread as an underdog. Uh, so, you know, do I want to go against him? I really don't. Uh, he's 26 and 12 as an underdog plus three or bigger. And overall, Matt Campbell as an underdog, 32 and 16. So um, Matt Campbell's been really good in the underdog role. I don't want to go against that. Um, I also can't take them plus six and a half at the current number. You know, this one has been bet down pretty hard. I'm kind of surprised. Uh, what do you make this one in your PRs? Yeah, I've got this game 10. So I am surprised to see this one moving away from my number. And, and I agree. I think it's an overreaction, especially because, you know, we start talking about the transitive property of college football. What do we last remember about Kansas State? They lost to Arkansas State at home. An Arkansas State team missing what? nine starters when they went up to Manhattan and then now Kansas state goes and beats Oklahoma. And a lot of people are going to look at that and say, man, Oklahoma is probably not very good. You know, maybe Spencer Rattler's not the guy. Maybe Lincoln Riley is kind of losing some of his edge, stuff like that. I will go against the line move here in this game. Now that it's under a touchdown, I like Oklahoma in this spot. They didn't deserve to lose that game last week. They were minus four in turnover margin. Kansas state had one third down conversion. Oklahoma's only allowed two on 22 attempts in their two games here so far. So they've had some issues on first and second down, and that was kind of their issue last year too. But they were minus four in turnover margin. They shouldn't have lost that game. There's no doubt about it that they shouldn't have lost that game. Cover that spread? No, they weren't going to cover four touchdowns no matter what. But they shouldn't have lost that game. And if they get away with a win there, this number, as you said, probably 11 and a half or 12. I even made some adjustments and made it 10. I think this is a good spot for Oklahoma to bounce back. I think there are some questions about Brock Purdy. And I think Spencer Rattler is a young kid. I think that Lincoln Riley will improve with him as this season goes along. And maybe Iowa State's defense isn't as good this year as it's been the last couple of years, as evidenced by their first two data points here. I think this is an overreaction to Oklahoma's performance. I think this is an overreaction to those stats you mentioned about Campbell as an underdog against the spread. I like Oklahoma here, and at six and a half, they're worth a play. Yeah, I, I'm going to pass on Oklahoma here, so I'll, I'll root for you. But uh, I, I can't take Iowa State at this number. I do agree with you that it gets to the point where some people just look at those stats on the underdog coaches, and they see that Campbell's 26 and 12 ATS as a dog of three points or more, and then the line is is uh, shaded in that favor pretty significantly to where that value has gone. So at some point when the narrative becomes so big that somebody's really good at, at something or another, it moves the price to where you can't bet it anymore. So that, I think that's also the importance of doing power ratings. Um, I had this game at nine and a half. I'm going to lean to the under in this game. If you can get a total um, 62, 63 here, I lean to the under. I think that Iowa State will look to try to slow this game down. Oklahoma should be better on defense than they've been in the past. And like you said, you know, Kansas State had 10 first downs last week, so it wasn't quite as bad for Oklahoma's defense as it looked. Uh, the offense put them in some really bad uh, spots. We'll have some more highlight game breakdowns on Thursday with Brad Powers, but make sure you subscribe here to our ATS YouTube channel. And also make sure you subscribe to GetATS.io Radio wherever you stream and download your podcast content. All right, before we transition over to the NFL, any other college football games you want to touch on here for today's show, Kyle? Um, you know, I, I think Texas TCU is an interesting game. Uh, this is a game where I lean toward TCU. Um, I wish I could get two touchdowns. I'm not really sure where this line will go. Um, I have it a little bit shorter than this. Uh, Texas was really fortunate to win that game last week. Texas is not a team I'm looking to lay points with. I think they could be good as an underdog or a short favorite, but, you know, laying two touchdowns, I don't think so. Um, Patterson's team, good secondary in general. They didn't look very good last week, but I think TCU could be a good underdog there. So uh, that's my lean in that one. What do you have TCU in Texas at? Yeah, I have that one line 10 and a half. So I, I do have a, a little bit lower than the market. I'm curious to see what happens with that game. And you know, it was nice to see TCU get a game under their belt because, you know, they had all sorts of COVID issues and other things going on, you know, early on in the process. So good to see them get a game under their belts against an FBS opponent in this conference setting. And, and for Texas last week, you know, I mean, as you said, that's a game that they probably shouldn't have won. Maybe they feel very fortunate to get that win. And now they're laying another pretty decent sized number here against a TCU team that you know, last year was, uh, you know, a pretty competitive team in a lot of their games and seems like Duggan's okay. So I think you kind of upgrade TCU a little bit 
uh, off of that performance, and maybe you downgrade Texas a little bit. So, like I said, my number's 10.5 here. Uh, I do lean with the TCU side a little bit. One other game just to hit on here briefly is this UTSA-UAB game. I mean, this is going away from my number, and it was 18.5. It's now up to 20.5, total 53 in this one. I think it's interesting that, you know, UAB looked so good against South Alabama last week. It feels like that's kind of influencing what's happening here with this game, uh, where UTSA is a dramatically improved team this season. Yeah, I'm torn on this one because this one's above my power rating, but I also don't really want to bet UTSA. So um, I don't like going against Bill Clark, um, you know, especially against a team like uh, UTSA that has lesser talent than them. Um, at the same point, you know, do you want to lay three touchdowns here? Um, definitely some sharp money here on UAB because there's more bets on UTSA than there is on UAB, and yet the line has moved up. So um, I don't have any real significant thoughts about this one. If it was just a power ratings play, I'd play UTSA. But like I said, I'm not not too anxious to do that. All right, so let's transition over to the NFL side of things here for a few minutes. And uh, the NFL betting board lighting up on Monday morning into Monday afternoon as we're recording ATS radio here. Uh, I will spare you having to talk about the Thursday night game between Denver and the Jets because uh, that may be the worst game of the week here by a pretty large margin. But as we look around the NFL now, Kyle, three games in the books for just about everybody. Chiefs and Ravens wind up playing here tonight on Monday Night Football to wrap uh, wrap up this week. And, of course, that's a phenomenal game there in that one. But, you know, with this set of games here this week, These teams will have had 25% of their seasons completed. It feels like we should start having some better ideas about what we have to work with here, not just this upcoming week, but going forward as well. Yeah, definitely. I think if you look at the NFL, the thing that really stands out from yesterday is the over was really cashing at an insane rate. It was 7-0 at one point. Um, The Eagles-Bengals game looked like it was going to make it 8-0. It didn't. Um, You know, the over has been so good this year. I think that part of the reason that the over is doing so well is teams are playing a lot faster. In seconds per play, the NFL is uh, more than a second uh, quicker than last year. That really is a big difference. It sounds like a small difference, but, you know, you get off a lot more snaps. There's going to be more points in the game. Um, I kind of speculate that, you know, what we talked about before the season, that we wonder if the over would be helped by no fans being there. I think that must be the case. Uh, Obviously, we had no preseason either, but... It's easier to play quickly if you can hear everything that's going on. You know, you don't have to go up there and change change things as often as you normally do. Or if you do, it's still quicker. So uh, I think that that's making a difference here. Um, at some point, the, the over is going to get inflated. The numbers are going to get inflated. I don't think we're quite to that point yet. Uh, we don't have too many divisional matchups yet. Uh, I'm still looking, thinking that the over could have some value. Now, I do think that if you want to bet the over, you probably want to do it earlier in the week because these numbers are going to go up across the board. Some of them already have. We see Browns and Cowboys have gone from 54 to 56 or even a couple 56 and a halfs already. I do wonder if we're going to see a total in one of these games pretty soon that hits 60. You know, these NFL totals are just going so high. I think it's probably pretty likely that we see one of those. Uh, I think there's some interesting games this week in that we have some teams that have been pretty disappointing um, that really haven't played up to, to par that that should be better. Uh, and I'm not talking about a team like Minnesota, because I think Minnesota is just a lot worse than what they've been in the past. But you see their opponent there, the Texans. Uh, the Texans are 0-3, but look who they've lost to. You know, I, I think they're a team that, that is quite a bit better than than what their record looks. So the NFL, to me, has been pretty pretty interesting. But I will say the haves and have-nots seem to be pretty far apart this year in the NFL. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Maybe there have been a few more you know, teams getting more aggressive on fourth down. Maybe that's kind of helped a little bit uh, with the scoring as well. Nine games for week four with totals in the 50s, and, and a lot of them up in the mid-50s too. We're not talking about you know, a lot of 50-and-a-half, 51s, anything like that. We're talking about games 54-and-a-half, 55, up in that range. Maybe Atlanta and Green Bay is a game that potentially gets up into that 60 range at some point here this week with the Monday Nighter. Um, you know, and Atlanta's probably going to have a new head coach here pretty soon too, after uh, yesterday's display. But, you know, I think it's one of the things around the NFL right now that, you know, maybe we're seeing a lot more of that college influence. You mentioned the quicker tempo communication is easier. You know, there's a lot more of, 
it feels like there's a lot more running back receptions here so far this year. You know, a lot more teams that are kind of using yards after the catch as opposed to throwing downfield. A lot more high percentage offense than what we're used to seeing. And I think that's a that's a you know concerted effort from a lot of these coaches to you know adopt things that help you move the football in a more efficient manner. And, and I think that we're seeing that around the NFL as a whole. You know, even a lot of the really good quarterbacks, maybe not throwing the ball as far downfield, like a Mahomes, like a Drew Brees. I mean, Brees, it's an arm strength question, but, you know, Brees' average depth of target is very short. They're just trying to throw guys open and let them run. And, and I think that, you know, that's a good strategy when you've got questionable tackling early on in the season and, and things of that sort. So I agree with you. I think for the next couple of weeks, at least until the books are forced to make substantial adjustments with these totals, the overs should wind up having some value, especially in matchups where points are expected. Yeah, and I think that if you do like unders, you want to wait to the end of the week because you're going to get better than what you do, you do now by a pretty significant margin on a lot of these games. Obviously, there's a few games where you get some injury concerns, a game like uh, the Eagles and 49ers. I mean, the fact that that total has gone down, uh, that's just because of injuries. Um, I will say... You know, the Eagles have looked surprisingly bad to me. To me, that's a team that really should be better than they've been. They tie the Bengals yesterday. The Bengals are better than last year. But, you know, for the Eagles to be, what, plus six and a half here against the 49ers with all kinds of injury problems, you know, before the season, it would have been laughable if you thought the Eagles were going to be plus six and a half when you didn't even know if Jimmy G was going to play uh, there without Bosa and many other guys. Uh, I think that really says a lot about the Eagles. It really does. It, it says a lot. And some of the adjustments to the look ahead lines that we've got this week say a lot as well. But we got a highlight video breakdown here on our ATS YouTube page as part of ATS radio, taking a look at a game that I don't know if either one of us have a really strong opinion on, but it's a fascinating handicap. And I think it does make for good content to talk about a lot of these different angles here. That's game 263, 264 between Seattle and Miami. Seattle six and a half point favorite, which is interesting in and of itself that this line's not sitting at seven and hasn't really gotten there yet to this point. Total of 54, 54 and a half. There's a lot to unpack with this game, Kyle. Yeah, I I think in this game, I do like the over some. I think that 54, while it is a high number, I mean, Seattle's offense is tremendous. Russell Wilson, I mean, you can't say enough good things about him. Um, he has the talent around him to make big plays, especially at wide receiver. Uh, if you look at Seattle's defense, they're not good at all. I mean, they're giving up a lot. They were pretty fortunate to cover that game against the Cowboys yesterday. Uh, it seems like every Seattle game comes down to a two-point conversion, whether it's gonna whether they're gonna cover or not. You know, just Seattle's games are close at the end of the game. That's why I would lean toward taking Miami in this game. I'd want the seven points. I'm not taking six and a half. But this isn't a very good spot for Seattle. I mean, they have to travel all the way to Miami after they had two big wins at home and really close games. Miami is not a good team, but I don't, I'm not convinced they're a terrible team either. You know, I think Miami can move the football here. Miami's secondary has been a problem. Uh, they looked pretty good against Minshew the other night, much to my chagrin since I had the over. But uh, Miami is a team that really has given up a lot of yards through the air. Uh, Josh Allen threw for more than 400 yards against them. I, I think Wilson's going to have a really big game against them. At the same point, I don't know that Seattle can stop Miami. You know, Miami's uh, you know, Fitzpatrick's kind of a, a good quarterback for an over one way or the other, right? He's going to be pick sixes or he's going to be throwing deep passes that are complete. Um, I like the over in this one. I think that this one will get bet up. I'd be surprised if this finishes at 54. So if, like me, you like the over, I think you want to bet this one earlier in the week instead of later in the week. Well, that's one thing. I mean, last week on the highlight videos, we did get some closing line value, uh, specifically, as I mentioned, that Tennessee-South Carolina game where that total moved down not too long after the show. And, um, you know, we got a good number on it. But, of course, you know, the game did wind up going over the total. And, and that happens. I mean, all you can control is trying to get the best possible number. And sounds like you're going to try and do that here with this total. Man, this spot is, is fascinating. As you mentioned, Seattle, the long trip down to Miami where it's been hot, it's been humid, dramatically different type of climate than what Seattle is used to. And maybe that fuels the over here where Seattle's defense could get a little bit tired in the second half. Off the big goal line stand, we'll call it, against the Patriots. Off that win over the Cowboys. Now you go and play Miami across the country in a one o'clock time slot. 
situationally, this spot is horrendous for Seattle. And that's what's going to be interesting is that you look at all the metrics and everything like that, a stats handicap will point you towards Seattle. A situational kind of more maybe old school, so to speak, handicap will point you towards Miami. And I'll be very interested to see where this line goes, if it moves. I think there will be enough people that dislike the situation and the spot for Seattle enough to keep it off of seven. But on the other hand, Seattle's offense is fantastic. They're a much better team than Miami. So maybe you get that quant crowd that bets this one up to seven. I think it's a fascinating line to watch, a fascinating handicap, and it illustrates how many different ways there are to go about that handicapping process. And then it's up to the betting side of things. Get the best of the number that you can on the total. If you like Miami, wait on a seven. If you don't and you like Seattle, maybe you get a rogue six. Who knows? You got the handicapping and the betting processes on full display here in this game. Yeah, I think if you like Miami here, you'll probably be able to get a seven at some point. If you like Seattle, you can definitely get six or six and a half, right? So we talk about getting the best of the number, doing the absolute best you can. If you if you like Seattle here, you shouldn't be laying seven points. If you like Miami here, you shouldn't be taking six and a half points. So I think that you, this is a good one to watch throughout the course of the week. The other thing is, at the end of the week, the public's going to take Seattle in this one. So they're not going to be betting Miami. So it'll be fascinating, like you said, to see what happens with this line. I think there will be plenty of people wanting to take Miami on the spot. At the same time, like you said, the numbers point towards Seattle and also the public's going to like Seattle. So I think this is probably the most fascinating line to watch throughout the course of the week. Um, I see 87% of the bets are on Seattle so far, but more than half the money is on Miami. So interesting one here early in the week. Like I said, I think this total will go up and I think this side will kind of bounce between seven and six and a half. Yeah, it's definitely a great game to watch. And and again, I mean, maybe it's a game, I know you like the over, uh, it's a game I don't have the strongest of opinions on, but it, it makes for good content and it makes for good discussion about what you need to do from a handicapping standpoint here in the business. And we talk about a lot of those topics and a lot of games on ATS radio. And we also do the highlight videos here on our ATS YouTube page. Kyle, before we sign off for today's show, any other games in the NFL you want to talk about outside of, uh, you know, when I torture you and make you talk about the Broncos and Jets here at some point with me? Oh, geez. Uh, I got to come up with another one just so you don't bring up that game. Um, I kind of like uh, Minnesota and Houston, you know, just because I think uh, Houston minus three and a half is intriguing to me. Um, You know, I will say, I know that this is going to, you know, burn you a little bit again just to think about it but betting on bill o'brien is not something i really want to do i mean you kind of you kind of wonder how he's going to blow this game at the same time that minnesota team is not good uh their defense is really a problem you would think that houston would score pretty easily in this game um gosh i'm surprised this line's gone down from four to three and a half i'm kind of curious where this one will go from here if I saw a three, I would definitely bet on Houston. I assume we won't see a three in this one. I mean, I can't imagine that people would want to take the Vikings enough to get get this one down to three. What do you think about this game? Yeah, this this is a tough one. I mean, you know, you got two zero and three teams here, so you know they're really they got to figure some things out. And Minnesota gave away a winnable game over the weekend against Tennessee. Tennessee's three and zero, and they they probably shouldn't be. Um, you know, that, that's the interesting thing here about this season is. There are some teams that have just kind of gotten by. You know, I mean, the the Browns should have blown out the Bengals. They didn't. They wind up beating Washington by 14, but they're plus five in turnover margin in that game, and they just never got any distance in that one. I, I think that right now, there are a lot of NFL teams that are just very hard to bet on because they're either not reaching expectations or they're, you know, underachieving based on how the numbers look or you know, I, I don't know. There's something about this upcoming week four card in the NFL. I started looking at it. I did the opening line report and I thought I'm not going to get five games for the Circa. I'm going to have to take something I don't particularly like, or maybe two games I don't particularly like just to get the five that I have to get. It it looks to me like a week where the NFL is going to be very challenging. It really does. I do think this card looks harder in the NFL than the last couple of weeks have looked as far as what kind of sides I might want to take. Um, I was kind of curious to to see what you thought of the Browns and Cowboys line. So early in the week here, you know, this one's gone from five or five and a half down to four and a half, which is kind of interesting since more of the bets are on Dallas here. Um, I don't think Dallas has really done anything that would, would make you want to lay points with them a lot. At the same time, like you said, the Browns, I mean, you know, they're not very impressive against Washington. So uh, what's your, what's your initial thought about that game? I, I agree with the move on the over. 
because the, the Browns defense doesn't look particularly good. I mean, Dwayne Haskins had some awful throws in that game. I mean, some of those picks were just blatantly inexcusable. And the Browns defense isn't great. They've played with not a ton of tempo, but they played with a little bit more tempo. It is interesting that they're using Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb about the same. Chubb was 54% of the snaps. Hunt was 46. They're trying to use Hunt a little bit more as a wide receiver, too, in the slot and all those types of things. And the Dallas defense is very bad. So, you know, I, I think that the the points are likely to come in that game. It's just a matter of, you know, does Baker have those bad interceptions? Because he had some very bad throws that he got away with in that Washington game, had some bad throws he got away with in the Cincinnati game. Prescott's going to take better care of the football. So I lean Dallas in that one and may even end up playing them uh, just because I think they probably win the turnover battle. But, you know, if Baker takes care of the ball, I mean, there could be a lot of points in that one. Yeah, fair enough. I think Dallas has played so fast, too, and their defense has been so questionable that, uh, you know, even over 56 seems like it makes some sense. I think this one will probably keep going higher as far as the total. Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com and also bettersportspicks.com. What can you tell us about those two places, Kyle? Yeah, over at huntersportspicks.com as well as bettersportspicks.com. I'll be lowering prices here for the season later today. Like I've said, you know, I'm always transparent about this. I I have not started the year well at all in football. I've been really disappointed. Um, You know, this is a weird season. I I do think that things will turn around. Uh, My leans that I haven't played have done well. The ones that I actually played have not done well. That usually evens out over the long run. Uh, $350 for the rest of my college football plays for the rest of the season. And that's actually going to be more plays than we thought, at least I believe so, with the Big Ten and the MAC and Pac-12 and everybody coming back. So $350 for the rest of the season. Um, If you have any questions about that, you can send me a message, Kyle at huntersportspicks.com or at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Well, Kyle, it's always a pleasure, man. Great to chat with you here on today's show. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll talk with you again next week. Sounds good. Take care, man. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper, over at huntersportspicks.com and also bettersportspicks.com. Coming up on Tuesday, I'll do the betters box with my thoughts on the MLB playoffs for the wild card round, and we'll chat some NFL Week 4 with Brian Blessing of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Thursday, we'll chat with Brad Powers as well about the NFL and college football. So lots of stuff coming your way here on ATS radio. I'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.